Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 1995, theorizing that one could time travel within their own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. After years of attempting to bring him home, the project was abandoned. Until now. Quantum Leap was an experimental time travel program, years away from being tested. Why did you leap? I don't remember anything. Your name is Dr. Ben Song. You're a time traveler from the year 2022. I'm Addison Augustine. Addison, you're the woman I love. Ben's working with someone. Al Calavici's daughter, Janice. What is that? That's a destination. I think that Ben was trying to leap into the future, to a specific place, a specific point in time. That shouldn't be possible. I remember why I leapt in the first place. It's to save you. Janice is our best chance at understanding what's going on. It's time to roll the dice. You want to help Ben? You will tell him to trust no one, even you. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 129, Leap, Die, Repeat. Running a little behind schedule. Yeah, everything looks good. Startup will be quick. Ever seen one before, Colonel? Seen what? Just wait until you see what this nuclear reactor can do. An experimental nuclear reactor. Our reactor will power an entire city with recycled nuclear fuel. Well, it looks like you finally leaped into your element. No kidding. Bunch of nerds gathered together for the common good. Kind of reminds me of... Us? Yeah. Like when we first joined Quantum Leap. It's September 12th. 1962, the day JFK gave that famous speech about going to the moon and future of technology. So, does this reactor do big things for sustainable energy? Hmm. No, we shut it down. When? Today. It looks like Dr. Woolsey does the demonstration of the nuclear reactor, but it doesn't work. And the government pulled the funding for the program. That sucks. Yeah. I'm not finding a lot online. I'm going to need Jen for this. Five unrelated deaths. That can't be a coincidence. That sounds like a government cover-up. Four, three, two, one. Yeah, that's definitely not supposed to be happening. Why is Ben flatlining? Somebody explain what's happening. He's dead. <gasps> He's alive. It's, it's not possible. Running a little behind schedule. Eugene, are you feeling okay? Ever seen one before, Colonel? Only in pictures. How long is this gonna take? I promised my kid I'd make it to her ballet recital. Trust me, Colonel. It will be worth the wait. What a groundhog day is this? Welcome. 
Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today, as usual, we're just a bunch of nerds gathered together for the common good. We'll be talking about <laughs> the new episode of the new series, Leap, Die, Repeat. Um, we'll also be bringing you an interview with one of the guest stars on this episode, Joseph DeNicol. Am I saying that right, Matt? Uh, DeNicol. 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 Uh, Matt spoke to him and Albie spoke to him. He played Eugene Wagner in this episode. Or was, I want to say Wagner every time I see Wagner. That, so. It looks like it should be Wagner. Right? Such a cool guy. Uh, really nice guy. And also very cool about people mispronouncing his name. He was very relaxed about it. He said, anything close <laughs> is fine. <laughs> Seems like a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, he's very chilled. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned. After the break, we will be bringing you that. I can't wait to hear it myself. So we continue our streak, a guest star every episode. I'm so happy that uh, Joseph decided to come and play. I hope that someday we'll get to talk to Bob Picardo about his role as well. Yes. So, Bob, if you're listening, this is for you. See, I'm calling you Bob. I'm establishing rapport. I'm keeping it, you know, keeping it light, keeping it That's light. That's too so. familiar. He was going to, and he's like, absolutely not now. It's Mr. Picardo to you. <laughs> so guys, this was a trippy quantum leap, a quantum leap like no other. Why don't we get mm-hmm. into some initial impressions? Allison, would you like to begin? Yeah, so uh, this is going to be a weird one for me, guys. Um, yeah, I thought this was one of the best episodes that they've done. And uh, by the end of it, uh, I just kind of gave up. That's my initial thoughts. All right. Uh, we'll be elaborating on that, I hope, at some point. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Matt, how about you? Yeah, I maybe not quite so extreme, but I'm in a similar place. Uh, there's There's a lot to love about this episode. A lot to love. But there's a handful of things that really got to me and um i kind of i i felt similarly to how i did when i was watching a year of little faith which is is by the same writer uh, i came out of that feeling quite irritated that it, it couldn't just be consistently wonderful for me um but yeah it, it does it's it's a weird one for me as well um I'm, i don't know if i'm surprised because i know we've had varying reactions to the series but i really enjoyed this one uh i had to watch it again to just see if i could make it make sense because at first i thought it was just kind of gimmicky like like you know the groundhog day trope comes to quantum leap and i think that um it's pretty ambitious and i mm-hmm. like the the idea of them pushing the boundaries of what you can mm-hmm. do on a leap and, and that kind of stuff but all that being said it comes down to the story and i thought the story was okay um, but I loved like uh, the lore stuff, the leap stuff, and uh, much of the character stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's 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 great because to me this harkened back to the uh, original series in a lot of neat ways, in my opinion. So, I mean, first off is the time loop. So, what do you guys feel about Groundhog Day coming to Quantum Leap? Hey, you know I love those season five s gimmicks. It sure is a gimmick, and they make the most of it. So I, I thought it was a really fun idea, and I like the fact that they um, they made the most of the whole concept of let's look at the same event from different perspectives. If it had just been things about Groundhog Day, it's the same character going through the same stuff again and again, and he learns some things about himself, blah, blah, blah. This, having Ben be able to see the same thing from different angles, was a really neat idea, and I think it was, it was really well written for that. Yeah, just the portions with Ben... Um were pretty good. I, time loop stuff is one of my favorite tropes, so I thought that was fine. 
All right. And I mean, they kept on, well, not they kept on, they mentioned it once, but um, you guys had also mentioned it in the thread uh, that this is more in common with a movie called Rashomon. My mistake was thinking I was in Groundhog Day when I was really in Rashomon all along. Which I actually watched after I watched this episode, which is a movie about four different perspectives oh, okay. on one event that happens. And I got to say, the movie was pretty boring. Uh, it was it, it was kind of terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I've, never, I've never heard of that film and I couldn't quite make out what he said. And I'll Obviously, we didn't have subtitles available, so I I wasn't able to go and watch the film. I mean, if you've seen any sort of thing where they're retelling the same story from different perspective, it's it's Rashomon. That's okay. I don't know why I've never heard of that, but it's a very influential film. But uh, tempted so, to go and check it out, but not based on what Chris has just said. I've never seen it either. I just know it because yeah. it's a it's a famous film. It's by Kurosawa, so the cinephiles out oh, there are okay. surely going to, you know, give me some hate mail. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was pretty melodramatic, and I'm an opera fan, so for me to say it's melodramatic, it sure is melodramatic. Um, but, uh, you know, that being said, I, I like the fact that they were doing the multiple leap stuff, and uh, I was just – I don't know if I want to say confused, but I guess – with time loop stuff, this didn't fall into the trap that most time loop episodes fall into, in my opinion, because a lot of times what happens on a time loop episode is the character is going through the same stuff over and over again, and they're learning something, but you have to reset everybody else at square one. And I find that just because of narrative demands, a lot of times in time loop episodes, what they'll do is they'll have the character growing and learning, but all of a sudden the characters that are surrounding them are also somehow different when they should be exactly mm-hmm. the same all the time. And I admired this episode for not going down that road. But I don't know that you can say that Ben got like different perspectives. I just feel like he was going through the motions with a lot of the stuff. So I was kind of confused about, you know, where they were going with the story because it seemed like some of the leaps, they didn't really go anywhere. I don't know what we learned on each one. I think he he picked up something new on each one. He didn't necessarily know until the end that he'd picked something up. But I'm fairly sure if, like, even the, the very first leap, he doesn't learn much except for the fact that somebody's been writing to the colonel. He's got a, a, a letter. They're, they're quite obscure little things that he picks up on each one, but I do think he picks something up each time. The the letter and the fact that it's torn out of the notebook, that kind of comes together over, what, three different leaps that he has to put together. Yeah, yeah, all right. And I mean, I, this is where, but this is where, okay, I have an issue. They're saying that this was a big cover-up, a government cover-up, and um, the villain of the piece, who we know is Mr. Dinnacle, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he says that he did it so that um, they would stop the plant and they wouldn't make the nuclear weapons there. They wouldn't, uh, you know, but isn't like causing a nuclear meltdown at a reactor just as bad? I, I I couldn't I couldn't understand his motivation for blowing this place up. And how does nobody know about it in the current timeline? Like, wouldn't a nuclear meltdown be big news? Like, if some plant in Texas just melted down, it was covered up. That was the plot point. It was covered up very well. How do you cover that up? That's a small meltdown. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I just that that part didn't didn't ring true to me. So I was uh, 
really eh, all right that's what i mean like some of the story beats left me a little cold but i mm-hmm. again i enjoyed the gimmicky parts of it and the, and the leap parts of it so i have enjoyed a lot of the um the character work back at the project with this one i know that it was heavy on back at the project and i found that the project stuff and the leap stuff of you know just out of story necessity were gelling a lot more this yeah. time yeah. yeah there was some great character stuff back at the project um particularly the i i went into this episode expecting fun time loop hijinks and lots of laughs and there was plenty of laughs but that moment at the start where caitlin falls to the ground screaming <laughs> it just really shocked me and i think it was a it was a really from the writing point of view it was a really good moment to play it caitlin did it amazingly and it, it set the tone for something that was, yeah, not not what I was expecting. I wish that we'd had more from that scene, because I thought it was one of the best scenes of the show, and it was so quick. Yeah, I yeah, agreed. Well, I mean, they did bring it up later, though, when she and Magic were having the discussion about the grief, and that was my favorite scene. Ever since he leaped... You can't touch him. You, you can't be in the same space with him. It's almost like living with a... A ghost. Ever since the engagement party, ever since Ben leaped, it feels like a part of him... feels like my Ben died. And I was like, wow, I'd never considered that, yeah. you know, that she might be mourning, uh, like, the loss. I, I understand he's lost in time. She's bummed, but, you know, he's still there. She still sees him. But this is not her Ben. And I thought that was uh, like, wow. Like I, I, I thought that was very impressive. And uh, I think that Caitlin played it perfectly. I kind of felt bad for her though, because she's wailing in the control room and then Ben comes back to life and it's just like awkward. I don't know. I just yeah. I felt, <laughs> I felt maybe they lingered on it too long, Alice, and you thought it was too quick, but I, I guess they needed to get to the conceit that he's coming back to life. So they had to go from overwhelming grief to he's back to life to there's a time loop to all this other stuff within the cold open. So yeah, it was a little quick for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what do we think about uh, this time loop? Like the way that they explained it, uh, this is what I was talking about. Maybe some of the connective tissue back to uh, the original series when Sam and Al switched places. They said to leap together. We would have had to either been struck by lightning or have been sitting at ground zero during an atomic oh, detonation. Oh, it was lightning. Oh. In that case, it was magic lightning. So it, it kind of makes me think that Margarita Matthews, who wrote this episode, is a fan of the original series. Maybe they went back to look for an in-universe explanation as to how something so different can happen, how the dynamic can change. Yeah, we wanted to do a time loop episode, but let's let's find a way in-universe to legitimize it. There was a line about that in the pilot, too, where Al says that the only way for yeah. them to retrieve him would be it. It requires you to be at ground zero during an atomic detonation. And I thought that's what this episode was going with. It would be some sort of callback to the original series without being a direct callback. Um, yeah. And then when they came to explaining why, um, I don't know what they said, to be honest. I didn't find no. anything about that. And they didn't mention because it was a nuclear blast, which would make sense. They didn't say anything. And I just felt like kind of like an idiot, honestly, for thinking this would have anything to do with the original series. So... I'm just not going to make any theories anymore. I guess I felt similarly. Um, 
except maybe I had lower expectations because yeah, I mean, we we knew there was going to be um, something to do with a, a nuclear accelerator in this. We knew there was a time loop. I I figured in my head I I'd probably be able to head cannon some cool link back, but I I never expected uh, an on screen link back and. That was fine. I went into there expecting that. What disappointed me was, or one of the things that disappointed me was, um, as I think you were saying, um, they didn't, uh, they didn't really explain why why the time loop and did it have anything to do with the nuclear blast and what was Ziggy doing the whole time. It's all a bit muddled, and it felt like they were getting past it as quickly as possible. Just to say, look, all right, we, we've got this cool time loop gimmick, and let's make the most of it, but let's not spend too much time thinking about the logic of it. And that that was that was an unfortunate hole. Well, I guess maybe because of my knowledge of the original series, when they said the nuclear explosion was causing it, I filled everything in with headcanon. Okay, what do we got? What we've got is a nuclear explosion interacting with a time traveler. It's like a once in a trillion lifetimes phenomenon. Two volatile forces colliding. Basically, the explosion is resetting Ben's leap to the original entry point. The elevator. Yeah. A lot of stuff makes sense with this if tying into the original series if you headcanon it. I don't mind not having direct tie-ins to the original series, and I don't mind having to headcanon stuff, but I was just bothered by the fact that there, there was no clear explanation, so I felt like I had to headcanon. And I guess, and I did it without even realizing it. And I don't know that, uh, you know, a casual viewer at home would have really caught into any of that at all. I think that we're in headspace where we can make these connections. And What does a casual viewer think the explanation is? The explosion. <laughs> like, okay, but then that just tells them that, like, he can never die or something? Like, it didn't explain why this is a, an exception to the rule. I watched this um, just now with my partner, who is definitely a, a casual viewer, and... I asked her what she thought of the episode afterwards, and the only critique that she had, she didn't, she didn't mention about the why the time loop. So I guess her as a casual viewer, she didn't really care why there was a time loop. She she just thought they were all pretty stupid for assuming that the time loop was going to go on infinitely because she always assumed that they'd just run out of bodies after they've gone through everyone in the elevator. Um, in fact, actually, halfway through the episode, she was just like, "That's so stupid." Um, <laughs> she just said that out loud, and she never says stuff out loud during episodes because she knows that, like, no, be quiet. Um, but yeah, the the reason for the time loop, I don't know. Maybe it's something only we nerds care about. Um, she certainly didn't seem to pick up on it. But yeah, I, you know, one 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 I expected, and maybe this was a silly expectation on my part. I expected every time Ben leapt in that maybe he would be cohabiting the same space as a leaper, but from a, a, a future point, like a future vantage point. So, but I guess the fact that he was dying because. In my mind's eye, I saw by the end of the by the end of the episode, like an elevator filled with five Bens in different outfits, <laughs> all working in tandem to see what was going on. They didn't go that way. Maybe that would have been too trippy. I don't know, but that's that's where I was hoping it would go. And uh, to see Ben working with himself somehow, I now that we have this conceit, do you think we we could maybe do something like that on the show? I think that that would add even more complexity, though, because I I was wondering how they'd play it, whether it would be a complete reset or or something like more like what you're saying. But then, if if he leapt back and was able to interact with himself, then surely he'd be changing his own previous memories of events, and then you get tied up in this whole bootstrap paradox stuff. Like on on leap two, if he talks to the leap one version of himself, well then surely the leap two version of himself is going to remember the leap one having had the conversation with leap two, even though when we saw leap one, he wasn't having that conversation. It's probably better they just did a complete reset. 
It also eliminates everyone else from the equation to the point where how is he going to find out who did it and why? Yeah, yeah no, I guess I was going more time travel geekery than uh, story mechanics. And yeah, both very valid points as to... We've, we've seen that done, <laughs> but it, it, it has to be done very carefully. And I don't think it can be done in a, a 42 minute episode with very short time loops. All right. Well, I mean, I for all that, I still think it was interesting. And I another thing that made me think of uh, the original series is when um, he said... So, he's stuck in this lead, doomed to repeat it over and over again until he figures out what he's there to do and fix it. My mind went right to Stoppa, because that's how I always felt what Stoppa was doing at Al's place until Sam came and helped him fix that lead. I need find way. Get them out this time. We know get them out soon. Then they'll come out. How do you know all this? I've been there. Too many times. That line, I've been here too many times before, always made me think that he couldn't figure out how to save Taunchi and Pete. He couldn't figure it out. And he was just doing it over and over and over again. And then Sam came and helped. So that was another, like, I guess maybe this is an episode of headcanon for me. Because that's that's what I found what I liked most about it was that it made me think of the original series in a lot of different ways. Yeah, but no one can leap into the same person twice, right? I assume we were dealing with a closed timeline curve, but this code suggests that Ziggy doesn't think Ben can leap into the same body twice. That never happened on the original series, <laughs> right? This ties in so closely to the original series. Remember how Sam couldn't leap outside his lifetime because... Um, because a, a safety protocol, remember that. But this is the this this is a time loop. I guess this is a, a different thing to. I assume you're you're comparing him to like him leaping into Jimmy a couple of seasons apart or, yeah. or whatever. What I'm trying to get at here is that this show can't coincide with the original Quantum Leap in my mind. There's just too many contradictions. I don't think anyone involved with this show has seen it in 30 years. It feels like it's made by people who half remember it. And I don't really understand the point of making a sequel series that doesn't remember anything from the original. I've never heard of any other instance where someone's made a sequel to something and refused to watch the thing they've made a sequel to. That seems insane to me. That's why I just hit a point where I just shut off. I just can't anymore. I give up. Which I get. I think in this episode they had valid reasons for doing it differently. They needed some way of having an end to the loop, and I can understand why they introduced that logic of he can't re-leap. And I don't know, I, I can headcanon that away the same way I've headcanon away most things this series, which is it's a new project with new rules based on similar technology. But I, I, I'm not disputing what you're saying, though. All right. If it was one or two things, I get it. I totally get it. I do. But there's not a single thing outside of Sam and Al existing from the original show that hasn't been contradicted, hand-waved away, or excised completely. Name one thing. Uh, there's a handling. There's, okay, a handling. <laughs> In know, chamber. That's two what things. I'm saying, I got though. Like, it just doesn't feel like there's any interest in the old show. In any way, every even down to the basics, the basics that was in the saga cell, why Sam couldn't leap outside his lifetime, but they don't even remember that. So how is this a sequel? I, like, I think there's this misconception that 
what I want from this is them to have Sam come in and then they're going to leap over and meet Jimmy and go to these old leaps and then people from the project come over and then they go to New Mexico and all these other direct connections. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just the basic rules. I would rather they never name drop Sam or Al again and instead it's consistent with the same universe this is supposed to be part of. Every time I mention the old show, it feels like it's like, well, this is like TNG. It's its own thing. And it's like, I don't think it's that crazy to ask that this gels with the uh, the show it's supposedly a sequel to. It shouldn't be surprising to ask that it connects in some way to the show it originates from. But I don't think that they're interested in it. I don't believe it. Uh, I'm being really negative here. I'm sorry, but it's, no, I just no, hit I mean, a wall. It's 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 a valid point of view, and I can see what you're saying. But in my mind, I'll fill in that stuff as a fan because they say it's in the same universe. And but how do you much, fill in things that contradict it? Much like Matt, I think okay, this is a, a new project with different parameters. So I want the series to coincide more with the original series in I think some plot stuff but when it gets to you know how stuff worked there as opposed to how stuff works here I can say to myself okay this is a completely new team as Matt likes to say a completely new build and there are going to be completely new rules and I don't mind that so much because it gives them their own flavor and it makes yeah. other types of leap possible. I think it could harken back to some of the themes of the original while striking out new directions without being, I guess, what they considered fettered by some of the rules of the original. Now, I don't know that those were limitations in any way, but, you know, obviously they want to stake their own ground here. They want to they stake yeah. their own claim. I don't think this is purposefully trying to stake their own claim. I don't think so. I think they just don't remember and they don't know and they don't have anyone to check or care. And I, I, I was just about to jump in because I had a feeling you were about to say that and say, yeah, we, we don't we don't know one way or the other whether they're they're making conscious decisions to change things or it's um, as you suggest, just just through lack of caring. But to me, all I care about is getting a show that we're told takes place in the same universe and involves time travel and makes me feel the way that Quantum Leap used to make me feel because it's got action, adventure, romance, drama. It makes me feel good about the potential optimism of the world around me. And the show does not always do that. We're, we're like, what, a dozen episodes in and there's been some misfires. But that's that's the important stuff to me. The, the tech behind it, um, less so. But I think what we're hearing here is all three of us have slightly different takes on what we need from something to be a, a proper sequel. Even as a standalone thing, I thought the overall tone of this episode, everyone was really stinky. Everyone was really stinky. Like, there were moments of brilliance in there, and but there were so many moments where I'm like, man, I just wish everyone wasn't so stinky all the time. Well, can, you, like, can you elaborate yeah. on stinky? Stinky, like, arms crossed, huffy, stick up their butts, uh, irritated about things and like 
I don't get why Addison, even when she's joking around with Ben, always got to like fold her arms, roll her eyes. Like, why is everyone so uptight and stinky all the time? And then you got Janice, all like everyone's bitching at each other about Janice and then Jen's pissed about something. And then like, I, I just like, I don't want it to feel stinky all the time. <laughs> it's irritating to watch. <laughs> Earlier on when we were talking about um, some of the, the characterization stuff back at the project, I, I was mid breath, I was mid sentence. And then we, we ended up going on a tangent about Caitlin, which was fine because we were talking about Caitlin, but I was about to finish the sentence by saying, and the other standout for me in terms of characterization was uh, Nanrissa playing that scene out at the end with Ernie, um, <coughs> where she was getting stinky. Um, I wasn't going to use those words, but I, I loved that stuff at the end with Jen being upset about Magic's decision and all the stuff with, with Janice. I wish it felt like that decision meant anything. It's like, should we should we choose to shut the project down or should we just do nothing? And they're like, we'll do what Janice says, do nothing. And then like Ben solved the leap. And it's like, wow, they really accomplished a lot at the project. They did nothing. Pretty cool. <laughs> like, it just didn't feel like it meant anything. And And here I felt like they gave us a little bit more insight into the process of how they gather information for the leap. And another thing that made me think of the leap back, because, um, First, Addison's in in the imaging chamber saying, I can't get much online. Let me – I have to go to, to Jen for this. So then Jen finds some some of these these things. They put it together that it's a cover-up and they say, why didn't Ziggy re realize this? And then Ian comes in and they say – Ziggy isn't all-knowing. It's a fallible AI that selflessly calculates probability outcomes based on what Ben sees. Ben just saw the bomb. So now Ziggy can calculate a probable location for the trigger. It reminded me of the line in The Leap Back where Donna says, What's happening with Al? Uh-oh, Ziggy doesn't know. Well, don't you remember? The data from the memory banks was limited to your lifetime. It was in my lifetime, right, and Al's in 1945. And, and we didn't know that till we got your letter. We've been loading Ziggy with data from 45 as fast as we can pull it from the National Archives. But it could be days before Ziggy projects a theory on what Al's there to do. Ziggy still needs a basis on which to formulate her projections. Uh, uh, Ziggy was just dumb in this episode. Don't apologize for Ziggy. No, but the, I'm telling you how it came together in my head. You asked me, how do I feel any connective tissue to the original series? Maybe it's because I'm just, you know, very adept at headcanoning when I want to. Mm. And I, they say it's in the same universe. I can't help but think of these things. And to me, these are connection points. How does this connect to what they said about the machine is leaping Ben around? There's no uh, higher power. Apparently, Ziggy, with no information, is like, this is a time you need to go to to fix something. I don't know what, but apparently this is something you need to fix. How does this even inconsistent with what they've said on this show? I think that what might be going on is that since Ben is working with Janice, Ben uploaded the points that he needs to leap to in order to reach this destination in the future. They said he's leaping to specific places so that he can slingshot into the future, which, quote, shouldn't be possible. So I think that Ben has decided when and where he's going to leap in tandem with Janice when they figured out what they needed to do. So Ben knew he needed to go to this place that where everyone died, but he didn't. Like, there was a government cover up, so there was no proof anything wrong happened. Ben just knew he had to go to that point in time to fix that and programmed it into Ziggy. That's my headcanon on this because Ben was the only, you know, he was the only actor here. He did it by himself. How did he know? 
If there, if it was not recorded, what happened there? How did he know? I don't know. I have different headcanon on this. Um, I don't know what happened. Maybe somebody from the future came and told him, and we got an intimation of that in the end. At the very end, the last scene was, I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a name. A name. The name of the person who told Ben to leap in the first place. Now, I, you know, I know every fanboy like me out there wants that name to be Sam Beckett, but, you know, it won't. It won't. It won't it'll, it'll probably be future Addison or Leaper X. It's going to be some yes. boring answer. But I mean, I, I feel like there's a bigger picture that we're not seeing. And there's there's some foreknowledge here that we're not privy to yet. There's a lot riding on that. And th- this is this is just my headcanon. So again, it's nothing on screen to support this. But um, how I've been seeing this so far is that Ben programmed in dates, times, destinations, but there is still a god in this universe that's taking those dates and times and locations and saying, oh, okay, there's somebody there that needs their life saved or needs help passing an exam or this, that or the other. And there, there is still a, a, a supernatural higher power in the Quantum Leap universe. It's just that Ziggy is now able to better control where the leaps are going just not necessarily why all right i you know and i've pretty much taken the gtfw uh equation out of this because there seems to be a plan that ben himself hatched so i feel like ben is the architect of all of this and just how how that came to be will be revealed before the end of the first season um so I, i you know i hope they solve the mystery box anyway by the end of the first season otherwise i'll be really aggravated I, I struggle with the putting right what once went wrong as being anything other than a GTFW type thing, unless literally like stopping that nuclear reactor exploding and making sure that everyone in salvation was happy and all that, unless that literally ties into the mystery box. Um, I, th- I think there's there's got to be a god out there that wants everyone to be happy. All right. All right. And I guess I guess maybe I don't think about it that much in in this incarnations because they mentioned it quite a bit in the original series. I mean, it was an ever-present sort of running theme and it it doesn't come up here. So, I I I feel like we're on a sort of a different footing, much like yeah. with everything else. I feel like it's a different build, different footing, different feel. And yeah, I guess your mileage may vary. I have no trouble though connecting it to the original. I like when they call back to the original. When have they called back to the original? They mentioned Sam and Al in this episode. They name drop Sam and Al. That's it. Yeah, but to me, that's a callback. That, how is that not a callback to the original? I mean, they're still in the same universe. There's not that much from the original to call back to. It was an anthology and a very, very loosely linked anthology from one week to the next. I think it's just, uh, I, Allison, I think that we just have fundamentally different experiences watching the show, obviously. And um, the stuff that you find is too little is is enough to sustain me. I don't need a bunch of name drops and a bunch of things happening all the time i just want it to feel consistent i I feel like i I get treated like i'm making these big demands and i'm really not like i i'm sorry i'm 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 getting defensive here i just like i i just get irritated whenever it gets brought up it's like well it's it's its own thing you know it's it's not supposed to connect to the old series like this they're doing their own thing and it's like well i mean if you if you look at the sequel to something and you go how does this connect to the original and it's like well it's its own thing then it's not a sequel anymore is it yeah you know another thing that made me think about the original series uh we had the jfk speech 
and uh, JFK loomed large <laughs> in Don Belisario's mind. And I many I times <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite parts of this episode because I love that speech beyond reason. That's the uh, mm. the the speech that he gave at Rice University on on the same day in history. I was trying to look up if it was at ten o'clock in the morning. It seemed a little early to give a speech at a college at ten o'clock in the morning, but uh, that Kennedy speech is so inspiring that I've used it for other stuff that I've worked on, like my own radio show and that point when he says we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy but because they are hard because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept one we are unwilling to postpone and one we intend to win that to me also gave me sort of feeling about that optimism that the original series tried to put forth and made me think, okay, um, at least their hearts are in the right place with this. And mm. are you guys familiar with that speech at all? That Rice University? It's it's one of his most famous. I've heard bits of it. I've never seen it in full. Um, and I, I, I want to now. I think the, the speech happened at 9am. Oh, okay. So it could have been on some kind of delay. I don't know. No, but they could different time zones. Uh, they were in Texas and he, well, no, he was they, at they Texas, were in Texas. Yeah, he was in Texas as well. Yeah. So it's hard to think that there was a nuclear meltdown in Texas the same day uh, that Kennedy was giving a speech in the same state and woo, big cover up, huh? Little nuclear meltdown, little nuclear meltdown. That's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And a lot of good uh, references to science fiction. I think that they they give A Stranger in a Strange Land. And Mm -hmm. um, what was the first one that he mentioned? Solaris. Oh, Solaris. Okay, I Mm. couldn't understand what he said. Good George Clooney movie. I never read Solaris. Which I was going to say, I've never read the book, but I I love the movie. Yeah, and I couldn't get through A Stranger in a Strange Land. I'm just not a Heinlein guy. But it's, you know... Nice to have that name dropped as well. So, I mean, one thing I kind of thought was a dubious line is when Jen said, I pulled everything I could on time loops and Ian was right. Aside from some vague scientific theories and questionable Groundhog Day fan fiction, there's not a whole lot that can help Ben. Dubious Groundhog Day fanfic. Yeah. And I was like, is this the episode apologizing for itself? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even read it like that. I just, yeah. But I want to find some Groundhog Day fanfic. (laughs) <laughs> is there such a thing i think there's fanfic for everything yeah true one thing i also found very intriguing was the the themes that they were saying that everybody thinks they're the hero of their own story mm-hmm. and ben is now having doubts even though he you know conveniently doesn't remember like are are we the villains here like we, we think that we're doing the right thing but are we and when they caught wagner doing the sabotage he said the great technology always falls in the wrong hands one day, it'll be the end of us all. And now we think about that nebulous point in the future. And Allison, you've said this before. You think it's some kind of apocalyptic thing that they need to avoid. So I'm wondering if they're moving it in that direction. I haven't touched on one of my other big issues with this episode. And this has been building up for a little while now. It was bound to happen at some point. But Janice has now well and truly become the voice of exposition slash plot twists whenever there's a commercial break or end of episode. I mean, the, the, the cliffhanger at the end, great. I'm looking forward to finding out this name, but it, it is just like, okay, now we don't need to see anything else for the rest of the season. Every plot revelation can be either Ben remembering something or Janice saying, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to tell you now. 
and that there's with a show with so much potential every time they do one of those things it gets my back up and it was okay when Janice was on the run and then when she was being held prisoner at project at the HQ it it was sort of this is going to happen now she's out there in the open and helping them they're going to have to string this out for another seven episodes of her helping them but not helping them enough to wrap up the show too quickly well, you had mentioned earlier when they when they brought her in to the facility that they basically have written themselves into a corner now because yeah. they can't really have the reveal too quickly. Otherwise, the mystery box disappears and sort of the overall thrust of the season goes away, which I, you know, I, I question the need to cling to it anyway. But obviously, that's how they've mapped out this season. So now they got to follow that course. And um, as we know, the seer, you know, it's already done shooting, so it's not going to change. You know, mm. they've already they're going to start what season two in, in a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're stuck with that convention, unfortunately. And it, it annoys me too. But um, at the same time, now that I know that this is the way it has to be for because plot, because show. Yeah. All right. You know, we'll just get what we get. And, uh, you know, I can choose to let it aggravate me. And sometimes it does. Or I can just say, all right, well, that's just that, you know. But, I mean, they, they've been able to show rather than tell stuff before. The reveal of Leaper X was a such an awesome moment that just happened. And I say this as one of the biggest defenders on this podcast, of maybe the only defender on this podcast of the mystery box, because I like the mystery box stuff. But it does feel like now looking back and looking to what I'm, I expect to see over the next few weeks, a lot of the way the mystery box has been handled is just by Ben or uh, Janice saying something and and drip feeding the plot out a bit. And a lot of it for me is now hanging back on that moment at the end of Salvation or Bust. So I, I hope there's some some big stuff that we actually see in the coming weeks. Yeah, some kind of revelation, you know. And yeah. it'd, be, it'd be nice if they put something, a, a new surprise in, like the yeah. Leaper X surprise, or at least tied back to the Leaper X thing and um, gave us a little bit more of the bigger picture instead of this, mm. you know. It, it is so much going through the motions and it is um, aggravating at times. But I just, I, I feel like once we do see where they're going. Anyway, I hope once we see the big reveal that more of this will make sense in retrospect. And yeah. I don't know that I'll be able to forgive it because, you know, annoying writing is just annoying writing. But at the same time, it I could maybe um, be more at ease with it. And I guess that's a fine line. Maybe it's a weird line. But my whole thing is that once they do get over this stuff, maybe uh, to quote you, Allison, everybody at the project will be less stinky. Maybe they'll be more collegial. It'll be more of a, a congenial environment for them to be working in and they can just focus on the leaps and they can just focus on, you know, building the character in a meaningful way instead of having everybody at odds with everybody all the time. Mm. And uh, I, I feel like that's the biggest failing is just the energy is just so off because you want to have that optimistic leap feeling. And I think that Raymond pulls that stuff off very well on the leap portions. But when you get back to the project, just for the sake of drama, 
they'd have everybody working against everybody else. And it's just not a pleasant viewing experience. I can understand exactly where you're coming from, Allison. But it's, you know, I, I guess maybe that's my defense mechanism. I just fill it in with different headcanons and say, oh, how do, how do I feel like this maybe ties back to the original series? Maybe when they do name drop Sam and Al, it gets me a little bit more excited because I feel, okay, well, that's what I'm looking for as a fan. I want to see connections to the old show. I want to get the feeling of the old show. I hope... If they get over this mystery box stuff, once they do, they can work in a more positive direction on a lot of this stuff. Because we've mentioned before, there's there's like great casting and um, I think great potential here. Um, I just hope that they're able to capitalize on it better as the show goes into its second season. And uh, I think that that's probably going to be my final thoughts on this because I don't know about you guys. I don't have a lot more to say about Leap, Die, Repeat. Um, uh, Allison, do you want to give any final thoughts? I liked Ben. It's about it. Okay. We all like Ben. And how about you, Matt? Uh, I haven't mentioned Ian's do. I, I love <laughs> I love Ian's new do. Uh, that made me happy. That's, that's good. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, for, for all we've said about this episode, the performances, all the actors in it, I think, were uniformly outstanding. And there was a lot of very good writing in it drama and comedy there were just some bits that fell down and you know I, I said this about a year of little faith and i went back and rewatched it a few more times and slowly i just i i came to i came to, to peace with the bits that had irritated me because I th- the rest of it was so good and i think on reflection this will later be one of my favorite episodes but it just it just needs a bit of time to settle all right fair enough and uh i think that that's probably a a good place to end everything this i think the whole first season needs time to settle Mm. to be honest with you so um here's the hoping that it gets settled in um a satisfactory way and uh i think that brings us to the end of our discussion of leap die repeat but don't make like uranium atoms yet you don't gotta split yet gotta split you know, because uranium atoms, they split inside a nuclear reactor. Uh, Got to split instead of goodbye. Right. <laughs> That's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, because after the break, we will be bringing you our interview with Joe Dinical. Stay tuned. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the Quantum Leap Podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. On the latest episode of Leaps Elsewhere. Oh, we gonna have some fun on this podcast, guys. Today we'll be talking about the NCIS New Orleans Season 1 episode, Chasing Ghosts, that features both Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. We're all gonna talk about the accent, let's face it. The accent. <laughs> Dean Stockwell is T-Bone Dean was really solid I believe that this was his very last TV appearance It feels like he spent a day on a boat And got to hang out with his old friend Scott Bakula again and- <laughs> This is the complete wrong role for Scott Bakula He did a lot of squinty acting in this, did Scott How many like Navy crimes can you come up with? Apparently if you're Donald Belisario, 10 million <laughs> yeah. I was glad that Scott took a moment to explain to us That discrimination hasn't ended <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the most dynamic episode of television that Scott Bakula stars in that revolves around an anti-Semitic lynching. <laughs> a ringing endorsement. I think we're all in agreement, everyone. 
tune in to NCIS Knowledge. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. That's patreon.com slash Podcast. It's the way they roll in New Orleans. <laughs> but is it? <laughs> Maybe. Hi, this is Susan Diol, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, everyone, we're back. Again, and again, and again. We, but we haven't died. That's good. Wasn't Ben oddly chill about, like, just, you know, perishing in a fiery explosion? <laughs> yeah, it started to become uh, a yeah, comic I've... thing by the end, maybe inappropriately. But, I mean, just think about his feelings there. Like, now he he literally knows what it feels like, like the agony of, you know, being being killed. Or did he leap before that? Because he did die in the control room. Like, does Ben know what death is like now? Well... Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. Did did although everyone at the project thought he died, was it just because did he die or did they just lose connection with him? He asks if he died. I think they said he died. Yeah, they like he flatlines. Yeah, but is the flatline not just because they've lost connection with him? Ah, oh, but they say that that he died, not just like oh, we lost the connection. It's it's all quite theological. I just so I mean so I guess. It, Ben maybe Swiss cheesed about what it's like to be dead. I don't know. Maybe it was just. But if, uh, but if he literally died, I mean, you, someone dies, you can't bring them back to life. So it, I think it brings up all kinds of questions about the nature of the universe. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm sure that it'll, it'll be fodder for um, headcanon for a long time to come. Yes, <laughs> the way yeah. I'm looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there are going to be some articles written on that one. But yes. uh, hey, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about now. I promised you guys before the break that we would have an interview. So, Matt, uh, you want to talk us into this one? Yeah. So, uh, Albie and I had a great conversation with Joe Dinicol, uh, who played uh, Eugene Wagner. We, we had a great conversation with him this weekend. Uh, really chilled out guy, really fun, friendly. Um, and uh, yeah, can't wait for you guys to hear it. Hello, Leapers, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. I'm here with Matt, as always. And today we have Joe Dinicol. It was Eugene in the control room with the pen. <laughs> Isn't it always? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We should have seen it from the start. You look too young to have the IMDb you have. How long have you been working in this business? Oh, dear. Uh, I have been working <laughs> professionally for th it's 30 years this year. Uh, to be fair, I started what? very young. I started uh, I started in, in the theater when I was when I was nine years old. So uh, uh, and mm. I've had a, you know, I had a long career as a uh, busboy and bar back i've taken you know i've 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 gone all over the place it's not chock full of uh, i'm not that successful but uh yes i've been at this a very <laughs> very long time my my father was an actor and my grandfather on my mother's side was an actor i they were both classical theater actors and i i come by this as i like to say very dishonestly um so so yes it's been a, it's been a long it's been a long road do you remember uh some of your earlier roles I mean, my earlier roles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I again, like I said, I started at the uh, the Stratford Festival of Canada. Uh, I was there as a kid for five seasons, and I was in Antony and Cleopatra and Cyrano de Bergerac and Waiting for Godot and a number of shows. But I, I, my my first role on on film and TV was in a movie called Elvis Meets Nixon, and I played a character called Ten Year Old <laughs> Boy, which is a, a, a pivotal role, clearly. That uh, Elvis, the, the the basic idea is that Elvis went to meet 
Nixon to try and help with the war on drugs uh, while wildly addicted to drugs. Um, so, and he went and he was sort of deputized as an officer uh, of, of against drugs, maybe of the DEA. I, I don't really, I'm, I, I'm forgetting some of the details. And he meets this kid on the plane. That was my first, that was my first role in a, in a movie or a TV show. This sounds like a film I need to see. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any recollection of that in your brain? I know it's hard to remember. Yeah, uh, no, I, I remember it very to... clearly. I, I, you know, those, 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 um, those sort of uh, initial days on a set. I, I remember it was back, obviously, back when it was all filmed, and so everything took a, a a great deal longer. So it wasn't uncommon. I had four or five lines. It was one scene, and I must have been there for twelve hours. I mean, it, it you know, you just kind of waited. You, back then, you would just you would wait around for what felt like days. Um, but I remember my dad took me and we, you know, we could go to the craft service track. I mean, everything is so novel at that, at that point. Now it sort of feels old hat that there's gummy bears and, and Ritz crackers everywhere you look. But, but back then it was a, it was a really novel experience. And, and also it was something, you know, I grew up in the theater and, and, uh, moving into film and TV was what sort of, um, differentiated me from my from my dad and from my grandfather and that was a decision I was very conscious of making and so my first day on set was a really big deal because it was I was starting to get really interested in movies and 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 I think at the time just doing something different than than my family it, it, it felt sort of very inherited to be an actor for me at that age and and I wanted something that that I could sort of forge my own path. And, and so those early days on set were, were really, really important because I was kind of figuring out what I liked about acting and what I, what I sort of brought to the table. So, so yeah, it was a, it was certainly a formative day as 10 year old boy. Did, did you ever question that desire to go into acting? Like after you'd had a few years doing TV and film, did you, did you experiment with any more standards? I mean, kinds of I, career or uh, was that not it? really that it i mean i think i questioned it much later i will say that one of my some of my first jobs i i, I booked a couple of commercials back to back um when i was about 13 and i almost quit because i hated doing commercials so so much i haven't done a commercial since then since i was about 13 and um just because it had, you know, the the the, the problem is that it, being on a movie or even a tv show for an actor um if you're not acting, like if you're just standing there holding a candy bar, it, it has very little to do with you. You know, it's not really an actor's medium. Theater is an actor's medium. So um, doing a commercial, if if you like the acting part of the day, which can be very minimal a lot of the time, a commercial, there's almost none of it. And so it can be very mind-numbing to stand there and do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again with a bunch of disinterested people sitting on a couch uh, telling you to say it this way, that way, and the other. So that was certainly a time I thought about maybe getting out of the business. But I mean, the reality is that I, you know, I like I said, I come from, I come from a family of performers. It's sort of, you know, it's not, a, it's not hyperbole to say that it's in the genes in a lot of ways. Um, it just never, nothing else ever seemed as uh, exciting. Uh, or important, not important in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, there are much more important things. But, but uh, to be able, to be present and to be alive and to be uh, with other people creating something that there's just there's just nothing like it. So I, I yeah, I never you know like I said, I worked in restaurants for years and years as a 
as a feature of being an out of work actor, but I, I, I never thought about, you know, every time I thought about having another job, I realized, like I thought for a while, maybe I want to be a lawyer. And then what I realized was I want to give the closing arguments in the movie as a lawyer. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to do a bunch of paperwork and school and nonsense. I want to say, you know, I want to give a speech written by Aaron Sorkin or, or, or Patty Chayefsky or, you know, like I'm not really that interested in, 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 in the, in the nuts and bolts of what being a lawyer actually is. I want to, I want to give a performance. I want to perform and get someone off, but that's, that's mm-hmm. acting. That's not, that's not being a lawyer. So the, the long answer is uh, short answer is no, not really. I noticed you did a lot of uh, genre work in uh, arrow and how did you get into being like a superhero ragman and all that? Uh, well, you know, that's an interesting one. I, I, um, you know, when those shows started happening, when Arrow uh, started, I um, the the casting directors of those shows, uh, predominantly David Rappaport, um, became a fan of mine uh, years and years ago. I had auditioned for Gossip Girl, and he always really liked me. And and I had auditioned for something else in the Arrowverse. I won't I won't be too specific about what it was, and and. Um, and I wasn't quite right for it uh, in the end, um, but there were some people pulling for me, and Greg Berlanti became a, a fan. And uh, and as big and powerful as Greg Berlanti is, uh, he's he's one of the, the the real human beings in show business, and uh, he remembered me. And so when that didn't happen, uh, about a year later, I I got a call. Uh, an offer to come and be on Arrow, which is not something I don't get offers ever, uh, really. Um, that's not where I am in my career. And he, he liked me and wanted to, wanted to pay it forward and, and, um, and gave me that part. It was originally supposed to be a couple of episodes and they ended up liking me and keeping me around for a little while. And, uh, so yeah, that was just one of those, you know, if you're around long enough and, you were, you know, you do the work and, and you're, you're going to find, you know, people say it's, it's who, you know, it's, it's, it's who your fans are, you know, eventually you start to meet people. And as we're talking about quantum leap, uh, show run by Martin Garrow, who's, you know, a great friend of mine, um, you know, and we, we became friends because we loved working together. It wasn't that we were buddies and he put me in a show. We, we worked very closely on a TV show. And we really loved working together. And then we ended up becoming great friends. But, you know, you work long enough in this business and, and uh, you know, days on set are long. And if you like being around people, that can, that can go a long way. You know, it's, it, it doesn't, great art doesn't get made by uh, people hating each other. I don't think. I'm sure it's possible. But I, especially TV, it's a grind to make TV, you know, it, especially an hour hour-long drama the days are long the years are long network tv they work 9 10 i was on gray's anatomy for a little while they worked almost 11 months of the year like it's a grueling schedule and if you don't like the people you're around it can be even more grueling so you're just always trying to make fans and that's that's sort of how i ended up on on arrow Wait, uh, was so was it blind spot uh with martin that pretty much got you quantum leap did you get the offer for quantum leap or did no i, I no I, I auditioned i uh no i i got i got blind spot because uh martin and i had done a show together called the la complex which um was a oh. short-lived um uh show on the cw that uh that is very near and dear to all of us who were on it was sort of about a group of disparate out of work 
show business hopefuls. I played a stand-up comedian and there was, you know, there was a dancer and a bunch of actors and someone trying to be a music producer. And it was very critically um, adored and uh, nobody watched it. So, you know, um, but we all loved making it. And it was, it was sort of, uh, it's how I met Martin. It's how we became friends. And when, and when Blindspot came around, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, that show was, was very, could be very heavy. And it was, uh, you know, it was a procedural and it had a lot of FBI and intrigue. And, and I think he had wanted to infuse more humor into it and, and, and more heart. And so he had written this, this part, he called me and said, um, you know, I, I wrote a part for you. We're going to make everyone fall in love with you. And then we're going to kill you and break everyone's heart. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that sounds fun. He's like, and we shoot it in New York. And, and uh, you know, and so, you know, um, so that's how that's how that happened. And then Quantum Leap, I, you know, I just, I got an audition and, and you know, um, I auditioned and, and ended up getting it. You know, so it, how, how these things work and the machinations of the higher ups of show business is, is certainly beyond my pay grade. So I, you know, sometimes you get an offer and that's great. And sometimes you have to go through the regular channels and it's, it's all the same to me at the end of the day. But, uh, but, but certainly I'm sure, I'm sure Martin was looking out for my audition. (laughs) I would hope, but, but yeah. Uh, So how long was it from auditioning to uh, actually being on set? Oh gosh, probably maybe a week. Yeah, the you know the, the 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 guest star role in in television is a is a fast moving train. You know they they're making these things. You, know, you forget they have to not only write them, they have to get them approved, and they have to you know everything is 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 in a condensed timeline. So uh, sets are being built, and so you know hiring people, especially a show like Quantum Leap, I would imagine, which is almost an entirely new cast every episode. Um, you know, other than obviously the core in the, in the quantum leap lab and, and, and Ben and Addison, but, but every episode, it's not like, you know, it's not like they're always at the office and there's one new person. He's meeting a whole world of people in every episode, as you know. So yeah, it all moves pretty quickly. Yeah. It was probably, I want to say it was about a week, maybe, maybe a little longer, but, but not much. Can you take me through the process of filming an episode like this, the one with time loops? Like, uh, are the camera setups the same and you just go through each different um, each different time loop and do it differently? Or are you doing it more in order or it, it doesn't make it more difficult than a normal guest starring role on a TV show when you have to do the same things over and over again, but different? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, you know, the, the first thing we did quite smartly, I think, was to do the opening of what would then be the thing we loop around over and over again, just so that we could set what happens. So we go, this is, that's the longest version of it that we see. So this is what we do beginning to end. And everyone, that's sort of what makes it difficult is it's not like what's, what's great about filming a film or a TV show is you finish a scene. That's it. You don't have to think about it again, you know, whereas this, you're kind of going, okay, well, on this line, I picked up the pencil and on that line, I pressed this button and you're kind of much like you would rehearse a play. You're sort of blocking it out to be recreated later. And then, yeah. And then sort of as you go on, it gets a little easier because, you know, for instance, all that we did all this, pretty much all the stuff in the elevator in one day, we just sort of went everything that happens in the elevator, we do from this camera angle. And then, and then they move it over to the side and they go, everything that happens over here and they go up top, it's called block shooting, right? So 
everything we try and we try and use the set efficiently so that we're not relighting we i say we like i'm lighting anything i'm not lighting anything that's against the rules but um but yeah so it sort of starts out a little uh, more laborious for something like this because you're you're really trying to track and set up because you don't you know you don't want to get to day five and go oh we forgot that he was supposed to do this thing because that's what matters in this version of the loop um so you're trying to track but you know the uh, uh the um the writing on this episode was really, really airtight. It was, it was a, a really beautifully written script and a really fun and everything had been thought of. And, uh, the writer was there every day. She was there every day and, and had obviously, you know, given this a great deal of thought so that everything could be sort of perfectly marked as, as we went through. So, so realistically, the most difficult part of it, I think, was mostly for Ray, who had to constantly be changing mm. costumes. <laughs> you know, like, I know usually he leaps into someone and that's the episode. And this one, he leapt into five people. So when we're doing the elevator, we do one thing. He's me. Then he has to change into the colonel. Then he has to change. You know, he's he's constantly changing into 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 different costumes. But yeah, it's sort of it sort of gets I think gets easier as you go, as you realize, like, OK, we've said everything right and now we just have to, you're kind of checking things off a list. You're going, okay, well, now we have to do the scene uh, this way where he's this person and the fireball comes in at this time or, you know, whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a bit of a fun puzzle to, to, to figure out and go, we want to set this up right. Because, the, you know, the, the, the last thing you want is for it not to pay off. You want, you want the idea that, you know, you do an episode where it's basically all in one set it's got to feel like it's got momentum and it's got you know movement and 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 stakes and i think the the writing especially on this episode and, and the direction pamela was such a, a an incredible director and um yeah they just they just did a great job so yeah it was it sort of started out a little more laborious and then it and then it sort of picks up steam did you get much extra prep time yourself to get your head around all that because i sort of imagine the writer and director mm. probably had like storyboards up with kind of the red string sure. pointing to everything but as, as actors we were you all just being led through it or did yeah you, did i mean you spend some time of, you know, the, beforehand kind of yeah head down the hell is this all about yeah i mean i think i think like the other thing you have to remember is is that in something like this we're not aware that it's happening again right like none of us are aware that this is a groundhog day type situation so uh, you're trying to go, you're trying to look at it from as if that opening chunk is the whole day. That's all it is, right? There's not a new arc for you when you, when they loot back, it's just restarting the same thing. So really you're looking at that and going like within this, from my point of view, you know, what's happening, what do I need to clock? And, and especially for me, like, what do I need to, uh, what do I need to sort of sprinkle in there? <laughs> you know, not too much, but you know, but yeah. And, and again, like I said, it was so well written that, that it was very clear. Uh, what was, there was no point where you're like, well, wait a second, this is supposed to happen, but we didn't do that on the, there was none of that because it was, it was a really airtight script, but, but to answer your actual question, no, we don't get a lot of time, you know, again, guest starring on a show, you're kind of dropped in and, and uh, that's a skill you sort of have to develop as, a, as an actor in television is like, you know, you have to be able to learn lines very quickly and, and adapt 
meet a whole, you know, crew and cast of people drop in and, and, and luckily on something like quantum leap, you know, this is, I mean, first of all, you know, a show run by Martin Garrow is uh, these things are top down or is always a, uh, just a treat. You know, he, he, he sets a tone in his shows that are, that, you know, no assholes allowed and, and, and everyone's working towards the greater good and, and, and there's no egomaniacs and, and that, that comes from him, but it also comes from, from Ray and, and, um, and Caitlin, who also set an incredible tone and are welcoming and kind and fun and, and excited to be there and, and excited to have whoever's there that week, like we're their castmates, you know, it's not like there's one person joining a, a, a crew of people that are always there. It's like, they have a whole new cast to play with and they were extremely welcoming. So, because you know, it, it, you don't get a lot of time in TV, but uh, fortunately on this one, that wasn't much of an issue. With uh, such a small cast and uh, with all of your scenes basically being with each other the whole time mm-hmm. and the block shooting, um, did you guys form a bond uh, like more than you would as a normal guest star coming in to do a few scenes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, we did. The, the, the guy who played the colonel, uh, uh, him and I hit it off, uh, got on like a house on fire. I found out that he... He did a movie with my grandfather called Baby's Day Out. And oh. uh, we sort of, he was yeah. a theater guy and we started talking theater. And, you know, again, you're sitting around all day and, you know, mm-hmm. in the best of cases, you're a bunch of actors who just got a job. You should be pretty happy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a nice place to be. I live in North Hollywood. And we shot this uh, on the Universal lot. I've never shot on the Universal lot. It's 15 minutes from my house. You know, you're driving as the sun's coming up. You drive onto, uh, you know, arguably the most iconic studio lot in California, and you know, someone brings you breakfast if you want. You know, it's it's a it's a good day. <laughs> you know, it should be a good day. And so, and I think everyone took that, and we all we all had a real blast. You know, Robert Picardo was having a great time, and 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 he's a real you know, he's a real pro and we, we, yeah, we got along, we got along famously. And, and again, the, the cast was so welcoming and, and really set a tone of we're here to do great work and to have fun. You know, it should be fun. This is, it's not, uh, it's not coal mining. It's, it's, we're making fun art that, that should be a good time. And it, and it really was. Is it true that you've uh, met Scott Bakula at some point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I have. Um, I guess kind of kind of briefly. So when I was about, uh, like I said, I've done this a long time and uh, I, I'm Canadian. I, I, I've been in LA for about 10 years now, but I, I came up at, uh, working in Toronto and back, this is, God, this is a long time ago. Let's just say that. I was a teenager and Back then, they used to do hundreds and hundreds of pilots. Most of them never went to series. Now it's a lot more selective. They spend their money, I think, a lot more wisely. But but they used to make tons of these things. And in Toronto, every once in a while, they would have a call, you know, for some show, and you never heard anything. And so I had I had auditioned for some sitcom or single cam, some some comedy. Right? It was called Father Can't Cope. About a dad whose <laughs> kids are this and his wife, and they're trying to go on a trip or something. I don't really remember. Starring Scott Bakula. And uh, I get a call saying, you're the guy. They watched your tape. You're the guy. And they want to fly you down to L.A. to meet you. Uh, you're the guy, right? 
And so uh, I fly down with my mom. I was 16. They put us up in a hotel and we get driven over to Fox. And uh, I walk in the room and I look around and there's uh, there's six other the guys. Um, and <laughs> and so I realize, oh, okay, okay. This is basically, this is a screen test. This is my first screen test. And I go into the room to audition and there's Scott Pacula. And he reads with us. He's very, very sweet. And we all do it a number of times and they come out and they call three of our names. Mine was one. We go over to the network and I walk into a room and it's Scott is sitting there in front of me, very kind, very encouraging. And I look up and there's no joke, 50 people in sort of an auditorium style room. And in all honesty, I buckled. Like I just, I had no idea this was what it was going to be like. And I started shaking like a leaf. Like no one prepared me for what, you know, I've since done a number of network tests and, and, and they're nerve wracking, but you know what to expect. People are there to kind of judge you or, you know, what have you. But um, I had no idea what to expect. He was very, very kind. The show shot the pilot and you've never heard of the show Father Can't Cope. So it never went anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is my somewhat loose connection to Scott Bakula. <laughs> That's a very, very cool, cool connection. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's 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 all right. He was like my, my first, yeah, my first, certainly my first acting trip to LA was was with Scott Bakula. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's all right. Uh, one weird technical question I had when when I was watching the episode, I, I saw they had a photo uh, of you and Robert Picardo kind of de-aged. Was that mm. like one of your old photos, or did you guys go in and do a little photo session and then they photoshopped it, or how did that work? Yeah, we, we actually we 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 they did a little uh, photo shoot at the at, in the offices, and I actually didn't do it with him. We're not in the same room, um, and then everything they do digitally. I mean, now you know, now they do everything. The, the the amount they can do digitally is is so incredible. So they were just like, just stand like this, and we'll do the rest. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, no, that was not an <laughs> okay, old picture of cool. me. I don't know if they referenced old pictures or they just made me look like that. But uh, but yeah. That's all. That's all. That's all movie magic. So they did Photoshop you and Bob together, but not for the reason we might have thought. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we ended up being together for many days. Yeah. But by that point, we're already shooting and they needed the photo. And mm. I think he was coming in a day later or something, yeah. you know, so it's, you know, it's one of those scheduling things. Uh, for most of the episode, all the guest cast is pretty much uh, equal mm-hmm. parts because they're all suspects and they're all in every scene. Yeah. But uh, towards the end of the episode, when we actually find out what happened and who's doing what, it more becomes your episode as like the main guest star because of just that uh, last scene between yeah. you and uh, Raymond. Yes. Um, and it, there was a lot going on in there, like emotion, and you had to communicate why and, and you were doing mm-hmm. it and your mental state. And I, I think you did a really great job Thank in the you. episode. What, what was that? Um, uh, did that add to the level of difficulty, or uh, from your experience, is it just like another day at work? I mean, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons it's fun to do. I mean, uh, you know, uh, getting to do a meaty scene is, yeah, it can be difficult. Certainly, you know, you're trying to perform while the, you know, Robert Klein, the f- famous comedian, said, "Everyone can be funny. Can you be funny at eight o'clock on a Saturday?" Right? Like. You have to be able to turn these things on. That's just part of yeah. the job. So it's certainly challenging to to um, to muster up wanting to kill a room full of people and and what is your reason and sort of building 
building up why you would do something like that. That's that's sort of the work that goes into to it beforehand. The only time that becomes really challenging is if you're trying to do a scene like that with someone who's not present with you or giving you something back. And and luckily that's not the case. You know, Ray is such a is such a an amazing scene partner that um, that it, it ends up being kind of not easy, but it, it's it's that's what we love to do. You know, uh, acting's not about about winning it's about it's about allowing yourself to lose on screen and 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 uh and be affected and so when you're when you're given permission or you give yourself permission to do that that's that's what acting is at its best i think so so yeah it's certainly challenging and and you know there it's a long day and there's a lot of angles and that stuff can get tiring emotionally but but that's what you train for. That's what you, that's what you, uh, you know, you got to get enough sleep and not eat too much sugar. And uh, that's, that's the, that's the job is you have to be emotionally fit basically. Um, so yeah, it's challenging, but it's really, really, I mean, that's the good stuff. That's, that's, that's what makes it worthwhile. Did you know you had that good stuff coming up when you auditioned or were, were you just given the part as, Hey, no yes. scientist guy, that's it. Run with it. And, no, I I think one of the audition scenes was okay. the was the turn yeah. at the end, or at least part of it. So I, I I did know that it was me, which is which is a, again which is a fun thing to play mm-hmm. throughout the episode because you know you know I think that's why you cast someone like me. I kind of look like nothing bad has ever happened to me, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, and I you put the glasses on and you go like this guy is, he can do anything bad. Um, so that's kind of the fun part is trying to bury that, but also have little red herrings here and there and, and, and uh, foreshadowing that doesn't tip the scale, but also is, uh, is, is something that maybe if you go back and watch, you go, Oh, okay. I see that moment there. I see what he was doing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a fun little puzzle to kind of put together. Yeah. I was, I was watching this episode with my daughter Serenity and she was very adamant that, um, it wasn't your character, uh, so she wanted me yes. to tell you you did a great job. And Yay! Her. Uh, <laughs> is, is it is it uh, does it add another level to playing the character when you know you're the one who did it, and uh, you have to act like you didn't do it, but mm-hmm. act like at the same time you know you did it. Yeah, you know, to it's do like, it. It's, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the, that's the fun challenge, you know, like. I often think of uh, you've seen the movie The Departed. Um, the 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 Leonardo DiCaprio role in that movie is very interesting because he has to he has to do a lot of things. He has to he has to be nervous that he's undercover in the mob. We have to, as the audience, have to know he's nervous, but we also have to believe that they don't know he's nervous, right? Because he's pulling it off. So it's a very interesting balancing act of trying to. You know, in the best in the best best case scenario, Serenity doesn't think it's me. But if she goes back and watches mm-hmm. it again, she can go, "Oh, right, of course it's him." You know, that's I I don't know if we did that. <laughs> we'll see. But like that sort of best case scenario is you're trying to you're trying to drop things that maybe on second viewing or or when the turn is revealed, your brain goes, "Oh, right, of course, right." That's mm-hmm. that's the sort of the fine line you're trying to walk, but. um but that's a tricky thing to do. But I, again, I think the I think the way that the episode was constructed was was so uh, was so well done that you kind of never get quite enough time with people to to really see what's going on with them. I mean, I'm certainly I was certainly playing or experiencing moments of stress that I might be found out. But you know, you're also covering them up and and 
and then it's up to the editors and the director to to put it together in a way that is you know it's like a great like a great murder mystery it's um it's uh yeah that's 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 kind of the fun of it but we're certainly we're certainly um we're certainly trying for that so thank you serenity that makes me very happy that she never mm-hmm. that she never suspected me not a bit mm-hmm. um she really loved the episode uh my final silly question is did mm-hmm. you get to keep the pen I didn't keep the pen, but I did keep my ID badge, which I kept, well, I kept partly because the prop master just gave it to me. He was like, everyone wants something like this. And the reason I wanted it is um, because my character name, uh, Eugene Wagner, Wagner is the last name uh, of every character I've played in Martin's shows. So uh, oh, oh, in the LA oh, complex, yeah. I was okay. Nick Wagner and in blind spot, I was David Wagner. And so that, um, that was a nice little uh, thing for us uh, na- named after a friend of ours. Um, and, and something that one of the things Martin likes to put in his shows, these kind of fun little Easter eggs. And so that was, that was a real thrill for us. I also always wear glasses in his shows. So, um, uh, but uh, I didn't keep the pen, unfortunately, but I did, I did keep the ID badge. I've got that uh, just over, over yonder. Very cool. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Uh, Do you you have any upcoming projects you can tell us about? Uh, Yeah, I am. One, I, I, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about yet. The other is I produced and starred in a movie, uh, um, that I made with a, a close friend of mine, Sebastian Piggott. It's a movie, uh, uh, called Bring It All Back Home. Uh, we just finished editing it and we're sort of submitting to festivals. It's our first foray into making things on our own. And so we're so proud of it. It's some of the best work I've ever done, certainly. And uh, it's a really, really personal film. So we're hoping to get that into to as many festivals and in front of as many people as possible. It's, you know, independent film. It's a difficult, it's difficult. Um, and then I have, uh, like I said, I have something I'm not sure if I'm allowed to announce that I'm a part of um, coming up. I believe it'll come out maybe in the spring or the summer i'm not sure um they don't tell me anything okay imdb has we'll uh, be on the lookout imdb has something called hindsight listed for you oh yes that was that was a really cool thing i did it was it's a it's a it's a pot it's a podcast like a a script scripted podcast um that's very very cool it's uh we did it all on a stage so everything was mic'd and we got to do it sort of like a play as opposed to sitting in front of a lectern and 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 talking we we did it all like a and it's sort of a it, it involves um it, yeah it involves magic and mystery and I, again i don't want to t- say too much about it but it's a really really cool project that that i'm really I, i'm excited to hear it myself um i know that they're working on it uh and um it's uh it's a very cool it's going to be a very cool project so yeah look out for that look out for hindsight and and bring it all back home which i'm 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 so stoked about awesome yeah I saw the poster for uh, Bring It All Back Home, and uh, it has an interesting tagline, so it, I, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a line from the movie that will make more sense <laughs> when you see the movie. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll definitely pick that out. Oh, awesome. Um, and finally, uh, can you uh, tell me like what your takeaway is from working on Quantum Leap um, and just the whole process of filming it and just being a part of now another genre universe quantum leap yeah i mean i think like anything i I used to feel this way about arrow it's 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 very cool to be a part of a a a cultural touchstone you know and 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 in in the case of quantum leap you know this is a show that deals in identity 
and and understanding other people's identity. And that's something that's really prescient right now and something that's really important. And so to have a show that's that's handling that uh, intelligently and gracefully, but also in a fun way, uh, in an entertaining way, it's just a real honor to just be a part of it. You know, I, I, I'm such a fan of film and TV and that stuff. So to get to be a part of it is it's, that's one of the reasons I do this. You know, I don't, we don't do it to, to be in a vacuum. I like that people see it, that you guys saw it, that people watch it. They have opinions, good or bad. It doesn't really matter. Um, and so to be a part of a show that I think is, is doing something not only entertaining, but, but, uh, but important to, to, for once a week to think about what would it be like to be in someone else's shoes? That's something pretty important, I think right now. So that's, I'm really honored. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you guys. Yeah. Wow. That was so cool. Thank you, Joe, for being on the show. Yeah. So yeah, he was fun, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just all uh, smiles, that guy. (laughs) Yes. I know, right? He just he seems so happy to be talking to us and he's obviously he's he's been around a long time. I mean he's he's older than he looks and uh, has been in the business since he was very young, so had a, a lot of lot of cool memories. Yeah, that's cool. You get to play the villain with the heart of gold, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good role. Another good thing. Thank you, Joe, again, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, and um, we have uh, some feedback, some listener feedback. So Yay. this is a Facebook comment that I thought Allison would especially like. It's from uh, Andrew Schumacher, who's one of our top commenters on Facebook. So, Andrew, here's your feedback. Here it is. It's on the show. I'm going to start. I work for an FFRDC federally funded research and development center and almost all of our sponsors are dod 95 percent of that is navy funded i know it doesn't apply to 98 percent of the folks out there but it is so immersion breaking when they have a scientific project using law enforcement <laughs> authorities or intel or any other authority they don't have all mashed together at a scientific research project we have our own security force, but they're basically parking enforcement and building security. Perhaps they're located on a military installation. Even then, the scientist wouldn't be running around chasing people down and locking them in conference rooms to interrogate them. Ha ha, laughing, crying emoji. U.S. Title 10, military. Title 50, intelligence gathering. And Title 30, law enforcement, I think, is so closely adhered to within the military and three-letter agencies. There are some overlaps with military embedded agencies, but yeah, hey, I can be your Navy and Intel consultant. <laughs> I guess we need one. The show needs yeah. one. Yes. And uh, he finishes up by writing, oh, another tenuous Scrubs connection via Jamie Jackson. Love it. This was a great leap episode, aside from the continuously cringeworthy project stuff. <laughs> Well, thank you, Andrew. It's funny you talk about immersion breaking because we were just talking about in Paging Dr. Song how I don't watch medical dramas in my house because my wife's a nurse. I've mentioned Mm. on the show before when I see stuff about journalism and people in news, I can't get into it. So I imagine every time they go back to the project, your head is spinning. So if you out there would like to be like Andrew, there are many ways that you can get in touch with us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can drop us a line at P.O. Box 542. 
Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can watch our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast uh we are going to be featuring that interview with joe and the after show so those should be up on the youtube channel right now uh when you're done listening to this head over there and watch those because albie's doing a great job over there and uh you get to see how handsome joe is without those horn room glasses so uh <laughs> and that that's not the only thing on youtube right there's there's much bigger news on youtube to come tell us where you're going to be yeah, speaking of handsome people with glasses, um, <laughs> I <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm going to be chatting with fan uh, Damon Sugamelli, who uh, he's he's been running uh, fan uh, reaction uh, videos for the uh, the series so far uh, on his channel at Damon Sugamelli six four five. So I'm going to be joining him later this week to talk about this episode. Um, which will be really fun. Oh, that's great. So cool. And it's going to be, does he do like regular episode reaction videos? Is that what this is? Yeah, but it's uh, it's usually just him and his wife. But because of the uh, the unique nature of this leap, he's got quite a unique plan for this episode, which is why uh, he's pulled me and a few other people in. Ah, I think yeah. I see some. I think I see some looping, but uh, yes. it remains to be seen. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. I'm oh, looking forward to it. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I can't wait to watch it. So yeah, can you say that address one more time? Is it youtube.com? Yeah. YouTube.com uh, slash at Damon Sugamelli 645. And everybody look at our socials. We'll be promoting that on our socials when it comes out. Facebook, Insta, Twitter, the whole nine. All right. So, hey, good on you, Matt. Yeah. And uh, oh, before I forget, always be plugging. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember, we may use your responses on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next. Uh, well, next week, we're back with Let Them Play. And the synopsis for that is Ben finds himself in 2012 in the midst of the Mendez family as they help their transgender daughter who dreams of playing on her high school basketball team. Magic and Jen discover another piece of the puzzle of why Ben leapt in the first place. Hmm. Oh, another piece of the puzzle's coming. Yeah. It also sounds like we've got some nice, uh, small family-level stuff. Not big military dramas, but... No, it seems like another issues-oriented leap, which yes. is uh, getting back to the DNA of Quantum Leap. And I'm sorry, guys, there was no uh, there was no leap out in this one to drop in as a preview. No. So um, we're waiting just as much as you. Although by the time this airs, I'm sure there'll be some kind of promo over the closing credits that we're not privy to yet. So you'll have more of an idea than we do right now as, as we're recording this. But I am looking forward to seeing that one i want to see how they tackle this topic because mm. it's certainly going to be i think kind of a lightning rod for the show mm. and uh we'll probably get a lot of attention so uh, until that time i have been christopher Philippus. i've been allison pregler and i've been matt dale and we'll see you next time thank you for joining us for this episode of the quantum leap podcast hosted by allison matt and chris with voice talent and contributions from hayden mcqueenie and zoe dean to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher Filippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Joshua Burwald, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, 
Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Leap, die, repeat. Leap, die, repeat. Leap, die, repeat. Leap, die, repeat. Leap, die, repeat.